from runasradio.com, you're listening to Run As Radio, the internet audio talk show for IT professionals with Richard Campbell. This is Brandon Wen announcing show number 376, UAC on Windows client with guest Jeff Stokes. Recorded Tuesday, June 17th, 2014. Run As Radio is produced each week by Pwop Productions, providing professional media and podcasting services online at pwop.com. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash runasradio. Thank you, Brandon. This is Richard Campbell, and thanks for listening to Run As Radio. I'm bringing back one of my favorites here. Jeff Stokes is back. He's a senior premier field engineer at Microsoft, having previously worked in the escalation queues for Exchange Server as a senior support escalation engineer. And he posts to Dude, Where's My PFE, which is the Microsoft premier field engineers page on Facebook and elsewhere. Welcome back, sir. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. Great to talk to you. So what have you been up to? Well, uh, you know, I've been uh, staying busy uh, doing some VDI work. Uh, spoke f- on that at uh, TechEd um, this year and, uh, you know, um, helping customers, fighting fires. Yeah, just last week I did a show with uh, Steve Thomas about uh, uh, UE-V, user experience virtualization. It's That's cool technology we've got. Very neat. Yeah, I have some customers looking to replace some things with UEV or, you know, to modify their existing environment to utilize UEV. It's it's pretty slick. And it does speak to sort of this gradual progression to allow us to to live with more devices per user than ever before. Yes, yes, it really does. Yeah, it, it is. It, it does present an interesting set of problems. It does. And client side's your life, I think. You're dealing with a lot of different issues at the enterprise scale. Yeah, uh, it's, you know, I, I, when I started in PFE, it was all server perf, server perf. And, right. um, you know, over the years that, uh, we found out the hardest performance problems weren't, you know, why is this exchange server or file server slow? It's, you know, why does the boot environment for, you know, my 50,000 users, why is it unacceptable? You know, yeah. and th- those, those questions are a lot harder to answer. And, uh, we, that's really where we started to dive into ETW tracing on the client side. And, um, you know, it's been a fun ride and it's been five years or so. Yeah doing that and the clients shifted and twisted around over the past few years as well you know i i think back all the way to xp sp2 being kind of a big breaking change that was a yeah for an enterprise that was a big deal the way that security shifted and then going into vista and i'm willing to say the v word uh uac 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 is huge um, and, uh, a lot of customers, unfortunately, you know, they skipped Vista and then waited to deploy seven, uh, for a while. Right. And, uh, so what we end up with is, um, you know, we end up with folks that, uh, their first discovery of UAC is happening this year or last year. Wow. And, um, yeah, I mean, you know, fielding questions from customers, managing 10, 20,000 users that, you know, why can't I just turn this off? I do it home. Yeah, you yeah. Know? Well, yeah, yeah. Group, just make it a group policy setting to dial that back. Not that that's actually a good idea, but just, right. you know, you, wish, you want, I, I hate security where the best reflex is shut this off. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it, you know, people could, and particularly in, in seven, uh, it wasn't, uh, implemented perhaps in the best user friendly way. Right. And I think in eight, there's been a lot of progress made, but, uh, you know, the UAC, uh, does so much for us behind the scenes, you know, under the hood for windows that, uh, you know, you look at, um, you know, in windows eight, you can't run modern apps if you have it turned off. Right. Right. Well, you know what? Maybe we need a refresher here, Jeff, just, you know, from what does UAC really do for us that we should be using it? Yeah. So, um, you know, if you've ever, uh, heard the application compatibility toolkit talks or anything like that, uh, you know, you look at UAC, uh, is essentially providing this sort of under the covers, uh, obfuscation, uh, of the user token, right? Where even when we log in as say an administrator, we're not really utilizing the entire user access token, right? Right. And uh, that's where the whole elevation comes from. But uh, the engine that runs that's also responsible for um, uh, the application compatibility for uh, the file and registry virtualization. So when we have those legacy apps that, uh, you know, try to write to a, a protected area of the file system or the registry, uh, Windows going to, uh, you know, transparently do a redirect to the location that's appropriate. That's why we see uh, in the user profile, if you review hidden directories, you see some of those directories that you can see them, but you can't open them. It's because they're not really directories. They're just links to a, a, a bogus area, right? Right. For app compat. And so if you turn off UAC, you actually turn off the engine that runs that. So then you can't, uh, you know, utilize the, um, the app compat toolkit for shimming and things like that. And it, that's kind of an important lesson when you look at the enterprise where you take a step back and say, well, you know, UAC is a burden to my user. So I want to turn it off. And what you're really saying then is what I also want to do is just make everyone local administrator and, you know, open up the floodgates. And, right. And what's the what's the operational cost of doing that, really? So that's, you I know? mean, that's where what I think the big thing about UAC really is, is how do I give privileges to my users to make their applications work without making them administrators of that machine and opening the door to all of those problems? Yeah, you know, and you know, just from a, a home user perspective, uh, you know, my, uh, personally, I have an eight-year-old at home, and uh, we we wanted to enable family safety. Sure. Right. And family safety requires the user be a standard user, and then they become a child account. Right. And so every game he wants to play, Alpha Steam and this and that, all of them are still written with that mentality. They need administrator rights. Right. You know, either they run a debugger in the background to make sure you're not hacking or, you know, whatever the story is. But, you know, it ends up, you know, we reboot his computer and, you know, mom, I want to run this game. Can you log in for me? You know, and we have to. Every <laughs> time. <laughs> Man. It's a horrible story, you know. And, you know, my wife's like, whoever's going to figure out how to do this properly is going to just make, you know, it's a gold mine waiting to be tapped. And it's sure. like, well, that's, that's the story of modern apps, right? This is the other side of this, right? Is the 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 modern app, the app that comes from the app store, is whitelisted. It's effectively the fact that it made it to the store means it's already been checked. It's living yep. in this very tight can that is WinRT. You know, it really can't touch the computer much at all. It's it's quite sandboxed. It so, is, yeah. You know, it, right away you could have a certain level of confidence that that's your source of apps. Yeah, yeah. Now there's some downsides to to that model also, but um, you know, like uh, in VDI, you it's hard to do a non-persistent pooled VDI session uh, based setup 
with modern apps because part of the app installs in the user profile and part of it installs in the system context. And so when you stream down the profile, you don't really have all of the app, you right. know, and so you end up having to reinstall your modern apps every logon, which isn't really, you know, awesome. That's a little it's, painful. It is. Yeah. 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 But, uh, you know, back to UAC, um, you know, it does the, the filtering of the user token, um, the same desktop elevation where, you know, when you launch an app, the process actually can have more rights than that of the interactive user because of, uh, the UAC's, uh, filtered token feature. Right. Uh, yeah. That's basically what we're talking about when we look at, you know, my wife having to elevate for another, you know, for my son. That's sort of a manual version of exactly that. You have yeah, to give yeah, additional yeah. privileges for that game. Yeah. Uh, user interface privilege isolation, right? Which is, uh, you know, where you can have, um, the windows, uh, show up for lower privilege apps and send messages to a higher privilege process and protected mode IE is another one, uh, which is huge. You know, the defense in depth of IE, you turn off UAC and you're going to break part of the protected mode of IE browsing. Um, and that's, you know, that's already enabled by default when you hit the internet or restricted sites, uh, zones. And then, you know, the, people come along right behind and shut part of that off right. so and it's, it's not really part of uac but uh the the protected mode ie you know requires the uac engine to work also um i had a customer get hit by this uh just kind of blindsided if you're familiar with the activex installer service where you can kind of whitelist activex apps right um that requires the uac engine to be running also it actually has to be on yeah, yeah. And if you think about that from a logic perspective, well, I'm trusting this ActiveX, you know, component to launch an install into my session without having to elevate. Well, the engine that's responsible for all this elevation mojo, so to speak, is probably going to be needed, right? Right. But, you know, we we beat our heads against the wall for like a week and finally it's like, wait a minute, do, do you have UAC turned off? And they're like, oh, yeah, we turned that off. It's like, okay, that, that's why we're not working, you know, and... <laughs> Yeah. And they're yeah. so happy about it. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. I don't think people actually dislike UAC. What they dislike is the pop-up. I go to run the app and that mean dialogue comes up that nobody understands. Yeah, but, you know, I mean, to give it some credit, it is color-coded, right? Yeah. So, like, if, if you like, if you have AppLocker and uh, or, you know, software-based uh, policies where you say this app can't run or what have you, mm -hmm. um, you know, the UAC prompt or that box that comes up is actually in red and says, hey, you know, your system administrator says no. Right. Right. Go talk to him. Uh, yeah, yeah. Or, you know, hey, the certificate for this isn't valid. Are you really sure this is what you want to do? You know, right. stuff like that. It's kind of like the same thing with IE and smart screen. Have you used that, seen that in action? No. Yeah. So smart screen. Um this happens a lot, you know, back to my eight-year-old son, he, he plays, uh, you know, Roblox and Minecraft and all this stuff. And you download all these mods and skins and all that. And a lot of these smart screen will look at and say, hey, you know, um, I don't really know where this came from. And it's not really meeting our criteria for whitelisting. So are you really sure this is what you were looking for? And you have to you have to actually click a box that says, yes, run anyway. Right. You know? So. It, it puts some thought in the user's head. And the same thing when you download some uh, things where it'll say, hey, you know, I downloaded this. And, you know, the dialog box, I think, is in yellow and, uh, you know, kind of draws your eye to it and, you know, wants you to just sort of pay attention to what you're agreeing to there, you know. Yeah. I and mean, that's the challenge is actually making dialogues that people read. Because so many times the only thing they do with dialogues now is what's the button that makes this go away? Yes. 
Yes. And, and, you know, the, you know, the number one help desk call I'm sure is, you know, my computer said something and I hit okay and now it doesn't work. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, what did it say? I don't know. I didn't read it. Yeah. Right. I just, I just let, you know, whatever, you know, wreak havoc on my system without uh, thinking <laughs> twice, you know? <laughs> well, and we're partially to blame for that. We've popped so many bad dialogues at so many people for so long, you know, it's no wonder they're blinded to them. That's true. Yeah. 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 That, you have a good point on that. Yeah. Now, now we have to undo that, which I think is the harder part. Is it like we're trying to do the right thing here? Do we literally have to just use another device? Like, I, but what's equally, you don't want to have someone try and run an app and then it just doesn't run. Right. You know, you have right. to yeah, tell you have them. to say something. Yeah. And you have to tell them in a way that hopefully they actually see it. And I do appreciate the red helps. It does. Yeah. yeah. Where it's like, hey, you know, are you, are you really sure this is what's going on here? You know, I, I also uh, appreciate the timer on the OK button. Like, yeah, OK, it makes me a little yeah. angry when you make me wait 20 seconds before you make the OK button available. It's a good point. But yeah. I, I've seen a few dialogues do this now. But inevitably, you read it while you're cursing. Yeah, because you have time. You right? have time. <laughs> you, you weren't allowed to rush. Right, right. Which, I mean, that really says something about our society in general, I think, that, you know, we're, we're so busy that we can't afford to wait five seconds or 10 seconds and read something. We just want to hit okay so we can go on with our lives. It's like, you know, that, that's kind of an interesting, um, uh, interesting, uh, I don't know, uh, scenario for, for us as humanity, yeah. really, isn't it? Yeah. How did we get here exactly? You know, but, yeah, and is is here where we were trying to go is yeah. probably the better question. <laughs> well, I think all too often we have folks building software that don't use the software and just don't realize. Like, look at every VPN client until direct access. You know, yeah. As, as soon as you use a VPN client, you pretty quickly figure out that those dialogues popping up aren't making anybody happy. Yeah. And uh, one of the things I think also is the error code conditions, you know, um, and, and I think we're, we're guilty of this to some degree where, you know, like if you run Windows updates and updates fails, it doesn't really give you a human readable error. Yeah. It gives you a hex code. Yeah. And, and uh, I think that developers, um, you know, don't really think through the implications of when someone sees this, what is that going to mean? Yeah. You know, uh, and, and that's you know something that you know we've given feedback internally that you know just why do I need to look up a hex code error to understand why my Windows won't update? Yeah, it's a good question. You know? <laughs> well, and I think as administrators of machines, right, as IT folks, I, I got to think a good goal is that given that the user is operating the machine within the set of guidelines of what they, you know, they said they were going to do, what they told you they were going to do, what they're supposed to do, they should never see that dialogue. That's a good point. Yeah. You know, I think that's, that's a good point. That should be a worthy goal to get to the point of, of I, I don't know that it's that easy to get there. Could I just, I guess that's the question is, am I able to configure these applications so that all of the UAC stuff is set correctly for them? So the the user will never see that until they do do something exceptional. Because if a dialogue's rare, you're more likely to read it. If every time you do something, it pops up, you're going to make it go away. Yeah, yeah. You could almost say you could put a harness around each app and say, you know, it's kind of like the video. Uh, you know, if you have like the super duper video card, you can make a gaming profile for every executable that it has anti-aliasing set at this, you know, multiplier and right. this and that. You, know, you could almost say, well, why don't we do the same thing for UAC so that when I run this video game, you know, 
it's okay for it to, you know, stupidly try and write somewhere that it's not supposed to. Because you know? <laughs> I know it's going to, right? But, you um, know, having talked to Steve Thomas about UEV, it makes me think UEV does a lot of that work already. You're pr- the process of capturing the configuration and settings for a given application, it's almost all the information you need to deal with UAC as well. Like, it's almost yeah. like we have we have all the bits here. Can we make this right? Like, create a set of procedures so that... I could go through and, and really create a manifest for every application that's supposed to be running on those machines so that UAC responds correctly to it. Or, you know, even, you know, if you look, take it a step further, what if the, the feature set of UEV was built in to, you know, Win 9 or 10 to where when you install the app or, you know, even like uh, the old soft grid or app V sequencing, you yeah. know, where you look at the app and it's like you study it. Okay, well, now I know that it's going to try and do X, Y, and Z. You give the user a one-time thing. Hey, your app, you know, kind of like when you install an app from the store, mm-hmm. you know, like an Android or iPhone or whatever. It's, you know, this app wants to use your local storage. Is that okay? And then if you, you know, update the app and it changes, it says, hey, do you want to, do you want to change the criteria for this app? So it's okay to use that. Why not do that for Windows apps? Yeah, we want to manif- we want to manifest. And in a lot of ways, I think as an IT person, we want the manifest before we want the app. Yeah. You know, yeah, I agree. Yeah, that's that'd be an interesting take on it, wouldn't it? Yeah, just to be able to look at that manifest, really look at what privileges it needs, and this gets in right down to stuff like claims based security. Like, what are the detail privileges? But that that also presumes that the developer has gone to the trouble to actually limit their rights. Yeah, and that's that's really where the root uh, problem sort of becomes uh, evident. I think as we look at. Um, you know, most of the apps that you see written out there, uh, they were developed with the guy running as administrator. They were tested with an account running as administrator. Yep. And then they, you know, I can't count the amount of times for, a, you know, an enterprise level app. Oh, it requires local administrator domain admin. It's like totally unacceptable. Yeah. No way. That's like a, it should be a non-starter. Yeah. Like, I mean, okay, well, you I don't joined, get to run. Yeah. Yeah. Well, before I joined Microsoft, uh, I worked in a financial services company and, you know, we had to answer to Sox and, you know, Sarbanes-Oxley, and we mm-hmm. had to answer to all these audits from, you know, uh, uh, brokerage firms in Europe and all this stuff and all this cross-audit stuff. And we we looked at Enterprise App, and they said, well, yeah, it needs to run as a, a domain admin. And it's like we went to the business and said, you need to find a different app. And, and we pushed back, and they actually rewrote the app to where it only needed a certain set of rights. But how many people bother, you know? Yeah, you yeah, you you're absolutely right, and and but it's it needs to be done because ultimately this is what makes the difference. Right? It does, yeah. Things. Well, you know, then you wonder, okay, so this one you know app that you bought that's running as domain admin has some security problem in it, and it ends up you know having a buffer overrun, and next thing you know, you know, like we had a request internally recently where a customer wanted to uh, block PS Exec because some third party app got hacked and was running as admin and then it could utilize PS exec to run, you know, utilities against domain controllers. And it's like, all right, blocking PS exec isn't the answer here. You know, yeah. no, I mean, it, it, that's, <laughs> you might as well, once you get back to the same thing, just give them min rights for crying out loud. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if you're worried about that, then, you know, really you're, you know, it's, you're worried about the wrong problem. You know, um, it, it's, it's interesting, but you get that mindset where, well, this happens. So clearly this is the problem and they want to, you know, hound some utility or whatever. It's like, you know, why don't you block the, all these apps that you have running as domain admin or administrator on local machines and all that stuff. I mean, that's really where all the problems come in. 
Yeah. Yeah. Without a doubt. So, I mean, this is a great, you know, doing UAC right, I, to me, feels like it starts with how do I keep my users from needing admin privileges on the desktop? Yes. And a lot of that, it, you know, just dovetails right into, um, you know, the app compat story. And, you know, I've seen some companies that, you know, it's, I, I don't know how it was a surprise, but all of a sudden three months away from, you know, the April 14th or whatever it was, they're like, oh, we need to get off of XP and get to seven. And it's like, now, you know, I mean, it's yeah. like, you could, you know, but you know, okay. So sideline that now, where's your time? to get ready for things like UAC and a better security model and take advantage of all these features. Like, no, no, we don't care about any of that. We just need to get on the new platform. So we don't have to pay a, a custom support agreement. <laughs> and it's like, you know, what about, you know, we could do direct access. There's all these cool things we could do, you know, no, 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 no branch cash. No, no, no. You, you know, and you know, you look at it, it's like, geez, you know, you know, it's like buying a car and, you know, uh, with this great radio and air conditioning and all that, never using it there for anything except turning a steering wheel. You right. know, if all these extra features and functionality and all this cool stuff and, and you bought it, you own it. You already paid for you're it. Not, you're not using it. And then you pay for a third party product to do the same thing and it does a worse job. Right. You know, and or, you know, direct access is a great example of that where, you know, DA certainly come a long way since it first, you know, was envisioned and, uh, Man, you know, talk about seamless connectivity for a business, and then the management piece of it. I, as an, as if I were administering an enterprise, there's, I would want DA so that I could manage machines, whether or not the user's logged in. You yeah. know, it comes up, opens up its tunnel, as long as it gets an internet connection, and I can do stuff to it. It's gold. Yeah, it, it, it this keeps being, I feel like capex versus opex arguments, where you're not willing to do the capital expenditures to get people trained. So you keep them busy doing things the hard way over and over and over again. Yeah, we actually in Premiere, uh, they have a, a like like a uh, I forget what it's called, um, which you know, shame on me. Mm -hmm. But um, you know, it's like a, 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 a IT life cycle, and you know, there's you know infancy and then adulthood or whatever, you know, whatever the terms are. But you, you look at the age of the environment, and it's like you know, are they in the nineties? Are they in the 2000s or in the, you know, the 2010s in terms of IT maturity? You know, back, I don't know how it was for you, but, you know, back in the 90s, there wasn't change control. No. You, know, you need to push an update. All right. We'll just, just do you know, it. send an email, let the users know that it's going to be down for 10 minutes. Yeah. Right. And hope for the best. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, you know, why should I have to do it at night? You know, I'm just going to do it in the middle of the day. Yeah. So, you know, the businesses kind of caught wind of that pretty quickly and said, you know, there's, <laughs> you know, it needs to be some sort of structure around how we do things in here. And, you know, the, the wild West left and, you know, for most people and, uh, you know, you start to see sort of this maturity of, uh, it process and workflow and all that. Now, you know, I'm not saying you go all six Sigma and, you know, you, you don't even need a lot of that yeah. to just do things right, you know, but, uh, you know, so many businesses are stuck in that mentality of, um, you know, you maybe they have a change control process and all that, but you they're they're stuck in the fighting fire mode versus the being productive and building stuff mode. Well, and fighting fires can be addictive too, because at least you know what you have to do every day. It's whoever's yelling true. the loudest, right? Like that's that's true. That's very soothing. I I I think the biggest thing for me, and we're starting to call this DevOps today, but it's something I've done for many years, was just actually having records of all the changes made in a given day. So that you could start sorting them into categories 
and start seeing how much was managing of brittle practices versus actually making progress. You know, I, I, I tend to use the Covey-esque terms. How much prevention and preparation are we doing versus firefighting versus just spinning cycles, wasting time? Yeah, yeah. It, uh, it's, it's unfortunate, you know, you, particularly when you bump into an environment like that and, or you're, you know, dedicated to it or, you know, help them on a crit sit and then you look at it and it's like, I mean, you, you it, it's, it's, it's a cop out answer almost to say, well, it's IT management's fault, right? It, it's, <laughs> but it, you look at it, it's like, it, it's a whole philosophical change, yeah. you know, in, in how you're doing things versus how you could be doing things. And it's, you know, it's, I don't know if it's an East versus West mentality or, you know, you want to get all, you know, Zen on it and everything, but you look at it, it's like, you know, the cost of doing something right once versus the cost of doing something wrong every day. Over and, you know? and over again. How much time do we get on prevention? And how much yeah. time are we just spending on firefighting? Yeah, yeah, it's it's crazy. And then, it really you know, this really backs into this whole UAC discussion. The quickest way to make the problem disappear on the immediate part was just to shut it off. And it created all these other problems that hit you down the line. How many more hours do you spend? Yeah. Because you didn't learn to dial in UAC correctly to the way that would actually help you instead of just being a hindrance. Yeah, it's interesting. We look at uh, the documentation we have publicly on it right now, and uh, I think the main the main article we have is is basically a server centric article that talks about how to temporarily turn off UAC. It's a KB article. I don't have the number in front of me, but uh, I'll get it to you so you can post it with the the show for sure. Uh, but it's it's server centric, and you know here's how you turn off UAC temporarily. Um, and doesn't really talk anything about the supportability of it or anything like that and totally ignores the enterprise client perspective. Right. And so I think we're working on some communication to kind of, you know, cause I, like I worked with a customer and they said, well, you know, we, we did some research and, you know, we didn't really, we did, we, you know, we saw what UAC is and how it works and what it does and things like that. But, you know, we thought that, you know, shutting it off and everything would be totally fine from a support perspective. You know, and it kind of comes back to like shutting off the Windows firewall service, yep. right? You, Makes your there, immediate problem go away and opens you up to a whole bunch of new ones that are going to come later. Yeah, it, but on that one, we actually come out and say in TechNet, "Hey, unsupported. Yeah, you know, don't you do call this. in. We're going to tell you to turn this back on, right?" So, <laughs> you know, you look at that dynamic, and I, th I think we probably need to do a better job on messaging on UAC. Yeah, and I don't want to exonerate Microsoft here at all. The way UAC was presented to the average user and the average IT guy was not good. You know, yeah. it, it became what you used to be able to do now has an extra dialogue that's going to annoy you every time you do it. At, yeah, at first, it, particularly in Vista, I mean, yeah. everything you did, you know, and, and, you know, of course, there's a slider and, it, you know, in Vista, there wasn't really that much of an opportunity there. But, no. uh, you know, in eight, you know, talk about rarely seeing something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think clearly we've learned things have gotten better. We've gotten smarter about how do we introduce these things in a way that doesn't annoy people and uh, and that actually gives them the advantages they need. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a pretty interesting uh, dynamic where um, I think the problem is that some people have maybe been stung, you know, at the beginning and oh, then yeah. just haven't come back since. They just turn it off as a habit. You know, it's a rote action they do when they install the system or build a GPO, you know. We all have scars. The question yes. is, <laughs> you know, do we focus on them or do we work past them? 
Indeed, indeed. And uh, and when I've run into, you know, uh, you're always talking to folks who are trying to move ahead and are banging into fellow workers and other folks, uh, you know, especially senior folks. So there's a big ad that are obstacles to that. It's like, how do I get the senior person to move? I understand that that senior person is reticent because what makes them senior is more scars. Yeah. So go find out what they are and make sure you're not aggravating them. Yeah. You know, I've been thinking about that. You know, I've, I mean, I'm not young anymore. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, I think about, you know, how IT was when I was younger. And I, I wonder if it was really that way or it's just my perception of it. But uh, I think one of the things, particularly, you know, you look at the last 10, 15 years, things are really going fast. Yeah. And keeping up is not easy. And seeing that something new is the best way can be hard just because you, know, you have a wife and kids and a life and you don't necessarily have the time to burn a 40-hour week in addition to your normal 40-hour week doing research to keep up to date on everything. Yeah. So where do you, um, you know, particularly when you, when you get older and, you know, supposedly set in your ways or whatever, that totally goes against the dynamic of the way IT is now where it's all – very quick, fast-paced decision-making and all that. And um, it's interesting. I'm, I'm hoping that if, you know, as the years progress, I'll just keep a good limber mind, you know? Yeah, and I think just being interested in, in doing better and learning more, like getting less and less hung up on tools and more and more focused on practices, you know, that, that here's yeah. what we want to deliver. Reckon, I, I think IT in the past few years has had a great reality check because we're starting to see us getting outsourced the way the developers did. You know, that, that yeah. the cloud opens the door to your organization doesn't need your infrastructure. They can use this one instead. And, and you've yep. got to actually be in service to your customers. If you're not taking care of them, they will find another way. And yep. I think I, that's actually a healthy pressure. Let's get back to what was important. That if that this is supposed to be enabling business, not impairing it. Yeah, that's, that's actually a really good point. You know, you look at that and, uh, I used to have a, a security guy, uh, that was kind of out of control in one of the companies I worked at. And someone came up with the saying that, you know, he has one hammer and when you have a hammer and that's it, everything looks like a nail. Right. And, uh, you know, back to that tool, uh, analogy, you get less hung up on the tools and more on the, the work and the solutions and practices. And I, th I think that's probably a good path to follow. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and because if, when you're an impediment to business, people will work around you. Yeah, which you know, in a, in a kind of a not sarcastic but cynical way, maybe is maybe that's what BYOD is partly about. Yeah, no, I, I I'm not going to disagree with you there either. It's the the and why people work from home and and all of those sorts of things is about bypassing these problems. So just yeah. taking that step back and saying, is the space that we're working in actually the best space to get work done? Yeah, because I find that pretty rare these days. That most office space is not conducive to getting work done. It's more conducive to counting heads, you know, making sure that people are there, making sure that people are typing, not necessarily getting any work done, but they are all there and they're all <laughs> typing. Yeah, I mean, I can see it maybe in in certain secure requirements or things like that, but yeah, you're right. You know, you look at it and, you know, the mass, vast majority of jobs you could do on a beach, you know, yeah. in, at least in IT. You know, in fact, sometimes, I mean, I work, I've been working home for a number of years and, uh, 
you know, I, I'm far more productive. I mean, for one, I probably work more hours because I don't have a commute. Yeah. But you yeah. have more hours, you have more time there. Uh, and you could create distractions in your work, in your home workspace too. I've had oh, to sure. get to a place where I have one machine that makes no noise at all, that has no pop-ups and no email and no Twitter, none of those things so that I can focus. Yeah. You know, that that's the, that's the quiet machine. There's a noisy machine with all of that stuff in it. You know, it's there, <laughs> but they two are separated from each other. Kind of like the computer or the TV and uh, idiocracy. If you've yeah. seen that, it's full of ads and has like one little window of content. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Exactly <laughs> like that. And that's, you know, we can end up there. We can make our own environments not effective for ourselves. And I think f- for us, you know, running an infrastructure like this, are we creating the most conducive environment to getting work done? It's not just a warm, fuzzy thing. It's stuff like UAC. It's stuff like I, if you pop dialogues, you create an obstacle getting work done. Yeah. So yeah. how do you minimize those obstacles? Yeah. Jeff, always really fun to talk to you. Thanks so much for taking the time to come out to the show. Thank you. And we'll talk to you next week on Run As Radio. <laughs>